Hey guys, welcome to the Summer Edition podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. This is for all of you guys who want to catch up on the show that's heard across the Resonate Network on Saturday afternoons from 2 o'clock till 5 o'clock. Join What's In The Boys and make sure you subscribe on iTunes and leave us as much positive feedback as you like. Enjoy. Welcome to this week's summer edition heard across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. It's just gone 3pm and uh, what a big show we've got this afternoon. Joining me in the studio, uh, Scotty Parkinson, good afternoon. Good afternoon everyone, good afternoon Watson. I can tell you it's not just the temperatures that are heating up. It's the summer edition. We've got some great guests on we this are, week. But I'll give you, I'll lead you into a hint. Never go to a barbecue with Ben Eichen as Nick Backstrom joins <laughs> me in the studio. How are you, mate? Oh, mate, that one time I went to the barbecue with Ben Eichen, I still can't talk about it. So, uh. Well, you know why? Because it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Nick, um, we started the week, obviously, it's the race that stops the nation. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the Melbourne Cup won by an Aussie bred vow and declare. Craig Williams was the jockey and he's our first guest this afternoon. Yeah, no, and he's a yeah, great bloke. I think people who saw him, uh, someone else when he said he did do a long speech, but the mo- the thing that struck him about his speech was it's all about other people. He didn't mention himself at all, so that's quite a remarkable one, a sportsman, I think. It is, and what a great story. Um, fed and bred, well, the hmm. others had to fly here. That's exactly right. So does that give an advantage? Well, not not so far. I mean, yeah. <laughs> historically, no. You know what? I'm going to put it out there. This is a turning point for Australian horses. <laughs> well, it, it needs to be because our breeding at this stage isn't set up to win Melbourne Cups. I mean, this is a jack out, you know. Oh. It's, it's, <laughs> you said breeding and then you went to another word there. But <laughs> how is the breeding different? The well, see, we concentrate a lot on two and three-year-old racing over the 12s and 1,300 metres, 1,000 metres for those mm. lucrative mm-hmm. early-on races. These horses are running the two-mile it goes against the grain of what we believe in. We like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Whereas, you personally? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, me definitely personally. But a lot of the Europeans, they play the waiting game. They wait till they're five and six years old. They nurture them and, and they aim at these races. Mm. It's, it's It depends on your preference. Yeah, none of us have hit our prime. Yeah, what's the prime age of a racehorse? Well, it depends. Statistics say five yeah, years of age for these Melbourne Cup races is the best, but that doesn't rule out anything because, you know... St- as, as statistics don't lie always, they are there to be broken. And have there been some older racehorses that have won the Melbourne oh, Cup? Oh, certainly. In the, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, that main, the main um, span is yep. five, six, seven. Gotcha. We've had young ones, we've had old ones. Ben Eichen joins us. To, can I tell you, Ben Eichen, if you haven't listened, watched NRL 360, it's one of the great rugby league shows. And just really interesting to hear about his thoughts on the Broncos because the Broncos are one of those teams where I've still got the sour taste in my mouth from their season. So kind of gives a bit of the hope. steaming heaps of crap they left around the country. <laughs> well, they're still there. Um, they're, you know, they knocked over Allianz Stadium for the one they dumped over there. So they've actually put a whole new stadium on top of it. Um, it's like the Broncos graveyard. But, yeah, no, it does give Broncos fans a bit of hope um, about, you know, having a settled season on a Seabold. Um, and, yeah, don't go to a barbecue. You won't get an invite with yeah, Ben Eichen. You certainly won't. And, Nick, it's great. You pose a great question to Carl Rackman later on in the hour about Sheffield Shield cricket. Well, you know, he was that was his last Shield game, was, the I think, a Shield game in the heart of many Queenslanders when we finally won the Sheffield Shield after how many years of trying? I mean, my dad's been going to the Gabba since before the Second World War, and uh, so <laughs> a lot of Queenslanders are hanging out a long time for that one, so I couldn't let the opportunity go. No, and he, he gives a very detailed answer, mm-hmm. and it's great to see more Shield cricket on our TVs, Parker, because it is probably the one 
element that you would select the test team from. It's the one game that it, that's mm. relative to the game. Yeah, but but does the test team does it matter anymore? This is the thing that's that's changing. I mean, you talk about wham bam, thank you, ma'am. I mean, that's the same thing with cricket. I mean, everything's all about the T Twenty. Yeah. So you talk about you know the um, Chennai Super Cup or whatever it is over in, in India where they you know all the money goes into that. So well, I think the baggy green in Australia has lost a bit of aura around it. Yeah. You know, and obviously the the sandpaper scandal didn't help, but. You know, Carl Rackman, he's one of the you know the true blue Aussie cricketers where where Test cricket and, and you know five day cricket mattered. Yep. Now, Nick, skin care in summer is so important, and we talked to the great Jimmy Niggle, not Jimmy Giggle, <laughs> Jimmy Niggle, about uh, his organisation called Beard Season. Yeah, it is a great organisation, encouraging and helping people with uh, skin care because, of course, Queensland still is number one for skin cancer across the world, so it's not yep. much of a title to hold. I was about to say, lots of number ones you want, but not that one. <laughs> exactly. So, and, uh, and melanoma can creep up at any age, mm. and you know, slip, slop, slap, wrap, and all the way above, it's so important, Parker. I mean, well, you as a school teacher, what do you teach the kids this as at, from a young age? Are they taught it? Well, it used to be slip, slop, slap. Now it's slip, slop, slap, slide. Other ones I can't mention. <laughs> but yeah, you, I mean, you're always encouraging. But I mean, yeah. as, as kids, obviously we grew up. Um, and I mean, you know, like you get taught to tan. Well, mm-hmm. tanning is not a good look anymore. So, I mean, you can always encourage, but I guess there's more evidence out there to suggest you need to be a bit, lot more careful now. I think when we were yep. kids, we kind of didn't know the actual risk, but we do now. So, um, yeah, any work that anyone can do to promote skin care um, is outstanding. Stay tuned. It's the summer edition across the Resonate Network. Heard on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, Hot Country, and it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. Undraft master of reality at the top of the straight went for home at the 400 metres. Vow and Declare back to the inside. Two leagues, Prince of Aaron. Then came Hunting Hornhill Paradiso. Late master of reality with Vow and Declare on the inside. Then Prince of Aaron, Raymond Tusk Finch. It's master of reality. Vow and Declare up on the inside. Vow and Declare, Prince of Aaron is lifting late with El Paradiso. Master of reality just in front. Vow and Declare kicks. Yes, the voice there of Maddie Hill calling Vow and Declare home in this year's version of the Melbourne Cup. Nick Backstrom, what an exciting finish and Australia lifting the cup. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a really good race. They looked really packed the whole way through. I mean, my horse is out the back the whole way, but no worry about that. It was an exciting race and great to see an Aussie horse get up. And the summer edition, of course, heard on the Resonate Network across 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. The man in the saddle of Vow and Declare, Craig Williams, kind enough to give up some of his time. I'm sure it's been a busy, uh, busy couple of days, Craig. Yeah, guys, is this um, Queensland Racing? The Queensland Channel? <laughs> yes, it is, yes. <laughs> well, my mate's always told me, he said, there's two types of Australians, Queenslanders and those who want to be Queenslanders. <laughs> so that's, from, that's from your golf, famous golfer, Vaughan Summers. So uh, it was definitely a win for uh, for Australians when there was only three Australian-bred horses in the race and Howard Clare was one of them. He drew very 21. He trained by an Australian... He was third up, and he beat the rest of the world. It was awesome, and Matt Hill's call was great. I'm pretty sure in in eight months' time in Tokyo Olympics, we're going to hear golf for Australia will be into that call. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that it was golf for me yesterday, and I was such such, such a privilege to ride down to Clare, being trained by Danny O'Brien, and wow, he did all the running, and I just had to sit on him, so it was awesome. <laughs> not, a, not a newcomer to uh, a Melbourne Cup ride, mate. Was that your 15th or 16th? Someone said 15, someone said 16, and I'll just say it's me first. So, 
I do I do quit with everyone and I just say, um, when I was a kid growing up in racing then I've already won it and dreamt of winning it before so <laughs> it wasn't but in reality I haven't until yesterday, so it's just been another handicap. But I'm- I must admit, it is the greatest race on earth for me now. And a couple of years ago, you did obviously had a had a, a live chance with Juno Den, and you were put on the sidelines. I remember hearing an interview. Uh, you, you took the family to the movies that day. Yeah, it didn't work. Um, I went and watched Hugh Jackman, and <laughs> I, I hid, I, I cowered in my popcorn, and you know, you know, they have your phone on. Um, my wife obviously didn't hear that intro, and her phone just keeps ringing and ringing. I thought I knew it was about at the same time. And, a friend rang up really excited and said, oh, that's great. That horse won. That's great. He goes, no, good. My husband's sitting next to me. So it was, it was a hard pill to swallow, but that, that's what it is. And it just means this one was even more special. But I, I also now um, have four children. And I didn't have four children. That's a waste of time. So don't worry about that. But um, I was able to share it with them. My mum and dad were at the races and my two brothers and his children. And, and it was special. I'm part of my team there. And I've got a big team that I always thank because... Um, they're so important to, to me getting to the races and then those results. So, wow, it was so special to, to share it with um, with my team and especially my family yesterday. Mate, the Melbourne Cup is a very special race. Is it like they talk about in football that, you know, grand final football is different to all the other football? Is a Melbourne Cup race different to all the other races? No. <laughs> just, at the, just at the end of it is. It's right. like, I remember when he went over the line, I went, oh, well, I just won the Melbourne Cup. So there's no difference. Relief... And then all of a sudden, all the emotions start coming, and lucky I had dark glasses because I cried up. So, and lucky Britt was a superstar. She's done a great job on the pony, and I was waffling on a little bit and everything else. But wow, it's um, someone's asked me um, today. They said, "Oh, is it better than what you thought?" And I said, uh, "No, it's greater than I thought. It's amazing. <laughs> it is quite amazing. It's just it's amazing, and that's what I love being an Australian and being in horse racing to say that sport, you know." Sport, not religious, not racist, not anything. It's just fast and slow and successful, not. And lucky enough to make it to, to get a ride in the, the 24 field. But to have an Australian bred taking on international contingent, which is what it's been of recently, wow. Just, it's a great Australian story. Yeah, that's yeah. lucky enough I sat on a good horse. And, and not to get bogged down, look, it's been a tough couple of weeks for uh, the racing industry um, for obvious reasons, but what a great thing to wipe all that away, having an Aussie horse, Aussie jockey, the, the perfect story to, to win this year's great race. Yeah, look, um, um, I never seen any of the bad publicity. I don't really watch too much of the TV and, and everything else, but all, all I can say is um, I can't do what I do without the horse's contribution, and they're, they're, the, um, they're the stars of the show. And I know that I've been involved and born into it every day of my life. It's really about racing that everyone that I've touched or know, they just love their horses. Their horses are like another child. So to hear people talking ill of people in racing, you know, obviously we could do get some bad eggs. And when you're in the third largest industry of, um, of employees in Australia, then you might get some bad eggs. But everyone that I deal with and know, they just love their horses. The horses come first. They get fed before the people get fed, and the care, the love, and the attention that they get. So, I don't have a problem. My my um, my wife um, taught me that in every situation, there's two sides of every coin, and and all. I I hope that we've been raising our children. I hope that people sit back and go, okay, we've heard one side of it, but see the other side, and then make make up their collective decision on all the information. And and I can tell you, um, we we love our horses. Yeah. We love animals. So anyone that's cruel to any animal, I don't care, thoroughbred, not thoroughbred, horse, dog, whatever, they're cruel people, and uh, that's a sad part about their life. 
but um, I can tell you there's a lot of love in my family and people that we work with in the industry. Perfectly said, mate. Now, you've ticked the Melbourne Cup off the Craig Williams list. Any, any other major races across Australia or around the world uh, that you're going to be aiming up next? I'm going to fly to Singapore on Sunday for their big race, and I've mean, got a couple of days off, and then you see me at Sandown. So it's all about going forward. Um, Vaughan Summers, who we spoke about before, he um, works for Lloyd Williams, and Lloyd's always big on all the history of races and everything else. And he said, no jockey's ever won a huge major. And then the race after, I was so disappointed I couldn't win on that Queensland horse. Looks like Elvis. We ran oh. second. We were just beaten. I, went, I, was, I really wanted to prove a point and say that's a sportsman in form, he's in form, and with a great horse that you can do it. And, oh, we just missed. So <laughs> sorry I couldn't do it for you, Queensland. He goes good, that horse, too. He's a lovely horse. It was my first ride on him, and they've done a great job with him. That's, as they said to me, it's his first time, and this is this is the A+. plus. There's no hiding spots in Melbourne this time of the year. Certainly not. And, um, so he's done a great job. He's only lightly raced. He's got a lot of racing to come. He's, they've got options with him with his distances, but I'm um, sorry I couldn't get him over the line yesterday. Too, Any thoughts on where Val and Declare will head next? Oh, I don't know. Plenty of pats, cuddles and kisses, I'm sure. Of that. <laughs> I think in Australia there's not many options um, for, for, for what his, um, his pet distances would be, which is st- he's, he's an out-and-out proper stayer. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start rep- he starts flying the Aussie flag overseas. Yeah. So I'm not too sure. All I said to Daddy last night was, because I knew he was him in the morning, give him a pat and cuddle and kiss from me and, and, um, and thank your staff immensely and let's all catch up later on. Um, I had 10 rides yesterday and, and I, was, I was pretty tired but I was able to share the great emotional day and, and then three hours sleep probably not the best idea. But <laughs> Craig Williams, you're an absolute superstar. Congratulations on your win on Vow and Declare and uh, giving us a sneak peek on uh, what it's been like in winning your first Melbourne Cup and uh, good luck for the rest of spring. Thanks, guys. You can nearly claim him as one of yours, that horse, when he won as a three-year-old at the end of your carnival. So yeah, you might right. have put the groundwork into him, so he might be a Queensland horse from now on. Good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a summer Thanks, edi- it's a summer edition heard across 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. It's the summer edition across the Resonate Network heard on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Uh, Scott, another guest on the line. Well, it's exciting. Three weeks in a row we're on air, so this is a new record for the station. And, and what's in the guests just keep getting bigger. We're joined by NRL 360's Ben Iken. Ben, how are you, mate? Hello, boys. i tell you what, if uh, I'm the big guest, I hate to think who was the <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're continually raising the bar. <laughs> uh, might have been Paul Kent, was it? <laughs> Not yet. He's on the bucket list. Anthony Maroon. Oh, yeah. oh wow, Maroon, yeah. Well, mate, then you know you've reached your peak. <laughs> <laughs> mate, it was a season uh, full of surprises. Obviously, Canberra really exceeded expectations in 2019 and uh, none bigger than that uh, Tonga defeating Australia a couple of weeks ago um, mate uh, can you think of any bigger ones than that not really I, I mean I had a mate of mine who uh, bets professionally on the uh, rugby league and at the start of the season he put out his um, punters guide to rugby league of 2019 and he had the Raiders as one of his uh, big season long bets he had them finishing in the top four I'm thinking you're going mad, seriously. So, uh, based on sort of my own analysis, you know, looking at the list and where they were going to improve, I, I just couldn't see how the Raiders could be better this year than they were last. Um, Ricky Stewart did an amazing job. He got uh, Andrew McFadden across from the Warriors. McGinnis, of course, 
uh, down to help with his utility players. McFadden focused on the defence. I think McGinnis had a big say in what they did in attack. Ricky sort of oversaw everything that was happening and made sure that they remained connected to the community down there in Canberra. And they just kept building and building. And, you know, they I think this year were able to finally match all that strike that they've had in attack under Ricky Stewart and uh, produce some quality defence. I mean, it wasn't sort of perfect defence, but their effort, their willingness to cover for each other when they made mistakes just improved out of sight. So you throw those two sort of ingredients together and the Raiders just got stronger and stronger as the season went on and some would say desperately unlucky not to beat the Roosters in the grand final. And, of course, you mentioned Tonga. Uh, That was... I mean, I don't want to sound unpatriotic here, but by the end of that match, because of the closeness of it and the crowd... I felt myself actually cheering for Tonga, wanting them to win. I don't know if yeah. you blokes were the same. It was it just sort of was overwhelming. You kind of thought this is going to be one of the great upsets of all time, and uh, it turned out that way. I mean, I'm got no doubt that that's probably the kick up the backside that you know, Melbourne Inger and the Aussies need, just to say that international football is growing, particularly through the Pacific. And if the the Kangaroos aren't going to be on their game, then they're every chance of getting beaten by sides like this. So the Raiders and the Tonga, Tonga I, I, I don't think. There are probably two performances this year, uh, Raiders season long and Tonga against the, the Roos, uh, both the regular season that will be surpassed in terms of um, unexpected victories or success. And Ben, with um, with the Tonga win on the weekend, for so long Australia and New Zealand have dominated international league, and obviously it's a great thing for the code because I mean one thing that rugby league gets said is it's not an international sport. Is it just a case of you know Tongan players, Samoan players, Fiji, they're just choosing to play for the home state rather than seeing them run out in Australian colours? I think that's it. I mean, there's been this growth of uh, Polynesians in the NRL, and all of a sudden, you know, with the money that's in rugby league, it's a, a great career opportunity, and now uh, a lot of the Polynesians who either live in Australia or actually grow up in the Pacific, where they, um, you know, they, they come from, they've got heroes and role models and genuine superstars to look up to, you know. Um, Jason Tomalolo is case in point. I mean, he... he He's, he's won a Dalian medal and he's done it from the forwards, which is very, very rare. And then all of a sudden you start throwing the passion of Andrew Petita, who can sort of forget that video that he did with his grandfather when he told him that he was going to finally play for Tonga and a, a grandfather cries. I mean, all of a sudden this thing starts to build momentum and then not just for Tonga, but also for Samoa. Now we've got Fiji entering a a team in the um, LeBron Massey Cup down in New South Wales and of course the, the PNG Hunters play in the Intra Super Cup in Queensland so there's, there's this kind of everyone thought the game was going to go west you know we're talking about Adelaide and Perth and I'm starting to get this sense that the growth for the uh, for rugby league in and around Australia is north and east and I can't see that discontinuing. And I agree. I think it's good for the game um, having some more competitive international sides as well, looking at these type of competitions. Ben, uh, you remember the dominant uh, Broncos side in, in 2000, the Rooster side of uh, 2018 and 2019. Where do they rate uh, to you in, in terms of all-time great teams and can you see them making it a three-peat in 2020? Uh, look, I, I can't go past the Broncos of the 90s and Canberra um, sort of around the same time. I mean, I'm just going on what I grew up with here. And, of course, if you read Larry Ryder's book, uh, Never Before, Never Again, about the uh, 11 straight grand finals slash premierships for the, the St George Dragons in the 50s and 60s, I mean, they've, I, I, I don't think uh, they're worth comparing. It's a 
different game today, going back to back. They say it's much harder to do, is it? I'm not so sure. Um, all I know is, is that Trent Robinson's a great coach. He assembled a great roster. He put a bloke in charge, uh, not so much as captain, but on-field general, with the name of Cooper Cronk, who's just proven his class. Um, his reputation's gone through the roof, you know, so much for having to be in Melbourne to have the kind of success that he had had. He transferred out of Melbourne and into Sydney and just really took that Brewster side to the next level. That performance with a busted shoulder last year will go down in the annals of rugby league history. So I, I, I certainly believe, based on that grand final last year, seeing what Luke Keary did with an injured Cooper Cronk, um, I think the Roosters can go three in a row. They're, they're that good. They're a well-funded team, well-coached, with a brilliant roster. Hey, Ben, um, a team that was often featured on NRL 360, one of the great rugby league programs, was the Brisbane Broncos. And, um, you know, a fairly off, tumultuous off-season uh, in 2019, to be said, with the coach swap. Mate, what do they need to get right? And should we expect a better season next year for the Bronx? Um it seems to me like there's a lot of change and churn going on. And you're right, it started with the coach swap. And then it's, it's become pretty clear that Anthony Seabold uh, has a very different coaching philosophy, uh, diff- very different game plan than Wayne Bennett. And, you know, the, the players that Seabold potentially likes are not the ones that Wayne Bennett likes. Um, so the Broncos are just going to have to be patient with Anthony Seabold. They've given him a long-term contract, so maybe they saw that on the way in. But... They're just going to have to hope and pray that Anthony Seabold uh, can sort of find his coaching mojo that he seemed to uh, show the rugby league world when he took over from Michael Maguire at South Sydney winning coach of the year. But at the moment, there's been a a roster imbalance, so they seem to be signing all this strike, but they don't have enough game management. So it's part roster management, it's part coaching, and I think um, the Broncos have done the right thing. The Broncos board have essentially handed Seabold the keys now and said, listen... You've told us everything that was wrong with the joint that you couldn't fix in time for 2019. Here's the keys. Go and do what you need to do. Next year, this is on you. So Seabold now is in charge. You'll have plenty to say about uh, who actually makes up his list. Uh, They're in the market. They've freed up some catch with Matt Gillett. At the end of the day, the truth of it is is that players make coaches, not the other way around. Jack Gibson said, you know, the best coaches are the best recruiters. So Seabold needs to get himself into the market now assemble a quality squad and then go help the letter to be better next year than they were this year. We've spoken about uh, some of the good performances in, in 2019 and, and lastly, Ben, I'll ask you um, what team in 2020 really has to pull the socks up? Well, they've got a bit to prove. Oh, look, you've already mentioned one, the Broncos. They need to be better. I mean, their goal every year is to be in the top four. Uh, I would also say the Bulldogs are a very well-funded football team and you know, Dean Pay's unfortunately been less with some rubbish from a past administration and sort of um, a different philosophy to recruitment and salary cap management Um, but you know I think the Broncos and Bulldogs are the top spenders in terms of player payments I know they all spend the nine and a half million dollar salary cap but but I think the Broncos and Bulldogs both spend another two and a half million dollars you know so they need to improve and then of course you've got the, the Gold Coast Titans and the North Queensland Cowboys, who are sort of both relatively close to me. Uh, Gold Coast, just an hour away, live in Brisbane. They were super poor. I can't see where they're going to improve, but 
you know, they've got good players. Can Justin Holbrook come in in his first year, get the best out of Ash Taylor? And then the North Queensland Cowboys, uh, well, Val Holmes, we expect is going to end up there. Michael Morgan's a star player, didn't have the best of seasons, and they've got a, a cracking forward pack with a young number nine coming up there called Reese Robson. You know, if they get the best out of him, he's, he's tipped to do big things, then they should be better too. But, you know, uh, Broncos, um, Bulldogs... Titans and Cowboys, I think um, they need to be better or else the coaches at the respective clubs will be well and truly under pressure. Hey Ben, um, you've been really generous with your time and as this is a summer edition I we get bogged down talking football but we had Maroon on last week and he regaled us with all the things he likes on a barbecue so Ben, what we'd love to hear from you uh, being the summer edition, your top three things to throw on a barbecue this summer. Mate, you have got the wrong bloke, like in my group of friends I'm known as narrow, boring, anal. I do everything in my power not to attend barbecues. My philosophy in life is people are the worst. (laughs) So I I keep my own company very well. That's a good answer for us. (laughs) Hey, Ben, thanks very much for your time and your contribution to the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank thanks, you. buddy. Hey, cheers, he's for that, Ben. Really appreciate it, mate. Pleasure, boys. Anytime. Good luck with the show, eh? No, thank you, thanks, Benny. Mate. Have a good summer. See you, lads. See, you, See you, mate. It's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Nick, and it is summer and it's the cricket season. The Aussies are going okay. They're going pretty good, especially if they weren't expected to go as well against Pakistan. No top team in the uh, short form, but uh, Australia certainly being very dominant in this series. And we're joined by a Queensland Australian cricketing legend, Carl Rackman. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. How are we going? Yeah, pretty good. Um, look, Australia probably pretty buoyant off uh, that uh, Aussie, uh, off the Ashes win and uh, coming in and they've got some dominant form on the board in the T20s. Yeah, they have. Sri Lanka, um, just the, the way their team is at the moment, didn't provide a great challenge. Um, Pakistan, number one ranked in the world, as you said, mm. in T20 cricket, but uh, they, they haven't really shown it yet. Um, let's see what happens with game three but um, yeah the first game was a washout but they were struggling in that and then Mm. we won the second game fairly convincingly look we're playing really good cricket aren't we and uh, Steve Smith his 80 not out uh, I know a lot of people have been talking about it but he actually went before this summer I think it's right that he went about three and a half years without playing a T20 international Mm. so they didn't want him playing all that cricket. Um, he was captain uh, otherwise, so it was just added pressure. And they just, Australian selectors, and he obviously agreed with it, chose not to play any T20s for all that time. So as a T20 batsman, he's not ranked in the top 100 in the world at the moment in terms of official rankings. Now, that's not going to last long. Um, he is the number one ranked test batsman in the world. Uh, he's I think in the 20s somewhere at the moment for ODIs, but um, I don't think it'll be too long. He'll be the number one ranked batsman in all forms if he keeps mm. this up. He's, he's just, just a phenomenon. He's just too good to leave out. And Carl, obviously you've played a lot of cricket yourself. It's Parker here, mate. I was just wondering, now, is there a guy you particularly like to watch? You mentioned Steve Smith, but is someone else you really tune in for? Like, if you walk past the TV, for me it was Shane Warne, you'd stop and sit down. Is there a guy that does that for you in the current Australian setup? I think I really like our bowling attack when they're all bowling well. Um, so Hazelwood and Cummins and Stark 
and, and Nathan Lyon uh, are all exceptional bowlers. If they're all on their day, to have that sort of a bowling attack is, is gold. Um, so I enjoy all of that. But batting-wise, I, I think we've got some uh, real talent emerging. Uh, I know what David Warner can do. Uh, we know what Steve Smith can do. But um, whilst he at the moment is perhaps in the balance a bit with his test spot, uh, and if he misses out on the first test, he's not going to stay at a test cricket for long. But Travis Head mm. is a guy that I just think is is going to cement himself uh, as a very serious batsman for Australia. And, and the other guy that I really like is uh, the other South Australian left-hander who keeps wickets, Alex Carey. Mm. Um, his batting as well looks like it could be anything. Now, I'd just like to make a point on that too. And Adam Gilchrist turned... Uh, wicket-keeping and keep a batsman the whole notion on its head. Uh, you're not going to get that sort of a batsman all the time with <laughs> no. your wicket-keeper. I think it's important to have your best wicket-keeper. And um, that will pay more dividends than whatever runs he can get. He can get. But uh, if it's a toss-up, clearly you go with the better batter. But, um, look, these guys, Alex Carey, he looks like a really good keeper and his batting's got great potential yeah, now, there's this young bloke from Victoria, whether selectors run with him or not, um, Pekoski. Um, I've yet to actually see him play, but there's huge raps on him. So he's an exciting emerging talent as well. Now, Carl, looking back at your own career, this is Nick. One of the highlights, surely, in your career in the history of Queensland cricket, and dare I say in the history of Australia, was that 94-95 season where we finally won the Sheffield Shield. Uh, can you see the Sheffield Shield regaining its importance in terms of not only uh, crowds, but in making sure the players are playing more of the long-form games? That's a great question. Um, this year is pretty special, really, because there's been four Shield matches in the lead-up to the first test, and all the test players have been available for all four games. Uh, it's a long, long time since anything like mm. that's happened. And that's a great thing. It's a great thing for the players, for the competition. It's a great thing for the selectors because they get to see these guys over a period of time playing at that level. So that doesn't happen every year. It's a pity. It would be really good if it could happen every year. Uh, I think the Sheffield Shield will always have exactly the amount of importance that it's always had in the eyes of the players certainly the administrators and cricket fans but people don't um, go to watch like they once did mm. probably because there's just so much cricket to watch and there's so much cricket on TV yeah, for sure. and, and they're spending their money not that it costs to even go to Shield Cricket but, but they, they give their time um, to an enormous amount of international cricket but it's there on TV to watch all the time and you can, you can watch Shield Cricket um, if not live TV, certainly on streaming now. So it's it's uh, it's accessible, I suppose. But uh, it hasn't it hasn't diminished uh, in the eyes of the players, and, and and that won't ever happen. Hey, Carl. Obviously, you're involved um, in the Australian setup as well, and, and the Queensland setup, mate. You're an absolute star. Uh, let's be honest. But when you go into the Australian setup, does it take a while to kind of feel comfortable on those tours? Obviously, it's either perform or out. Um, yeah, how do you get your head around that? Yeah, for a new player coming in, um, I guess the best thing to do is get a good performance under your belt early because you're, you, you're wanting to 
become confident that you are up to that standard of cricket, that you can cut the mustard, if you like, and, and you're, in the back of your mind, you're wanting the dressing room to be confident in your ability as well, and generally speaking, they are. They've all played against you in Shield cricket before you test taboo, and they know what you can do, and they've seen you perform, because you would have been performing for some time over a couple of seasons before your first test selection, so... Um, but still, you, you're going up a level. But I, I say to people and I say to kids, it's no different from going from fourth grade to third grade or first grade to shield cricket. Mm. Uh, whenever you go up a level, um, selectors, whose job it is is to decide, they've decided that you're good enough to be there and, and they expect you to reproduce what you've been doing at that previous level, whatever it might have been. They don't want you to suddenly be Superman. They just think that what you've been doing is good enough to go yeah. up a level mm. and just keep doing that. So you just need to be comfortable in your mind that, that that's what's expected of you and you just go out there and reproduce. And um, look, nine times out of ten, you'll play well and do well and uh, and the team you'll find is pretty excited for you because they want to see you <laughs> players do well. Carl, obviously you're a great friend of the Resonate Network uh, with your work away from cricket. Tell us a bit about uh, your company. Yeah, Australia Ag. So we, we've been advertising on Resonate for, well, since we opened really, uh, which is three years ago in Queensland. The parent company in Victoria is uh, about nine years old and we sell uh, new farm equipment to our primary producers. Um, tillage equipment, fertiliser spreaders, uh, land rollers. There's a fair few of them in central Queensland now. They're using the chickpeas mainly. Yep. Um, uh, feed mixes, which probably is of more interest to listeners further out west and beef cattle producers. So a uh, big range of feed mixes. And we've probably been selling more of them than anything else in recent times. Yep. Conditions the way they are, we'd <laughs> like that to turn around a bit, wouldn't we? But, um <laughs> So quite a range. There's some, we haven't sold a lot of it, but uh, some uh, earth-moving gear, land levelers and scrapers, we, we do them. But quite a range of gear that we do sell. And, uh, yeah, we're set up based in Kingaroy and uh, pretty much a, a new company, but steadily getting uh, better and going OK. Carl, thanks very much for your time and contribution to the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. It's the summer edition across the Resonate Network heard on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Nick, one important part of summer, as it is the summer edition, mm -mm. is taking care of yourself in the sun and especially your skin and your eyes, of course. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes. Um, I remember I grew up in an area, yeah, it just wasn't somebody who got sunburned and uh, now you just go, that's a bit stupid. <laughs> yeah, and I, I went through a, um, an eye operation. I had pterygiums, and growing up on the northern rivers of New South Wales in the sun and the surf, and mm. and uh, never wore sunnies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, I wear them now because that <laughs> operation was horrific. <laughs> now, skincare is such an important uh, thing, and joining us on the line from beard season is the one and only Jimmy Niggle. How are you, mate? G'day, guys. Good, good. Now, what? Tell us a bit about the importance. Of of, the, of looking after your skin in the sun? Yeah, well, as you say, it's uh, critical. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like the sun down here is just crazy, and it's just a matter of life, I think, in Australia that, you know, skin cancer can rear its ugly head, and I think two out of three Aussies are likely to get some form of it, which is a um, pretty scary stat. 
Yeah, that's a huge number, isn't it? I mean, this is what happens when a bunch of white people take over a country that they <laughs> <laughs> their skin wasn't designed for. <laughs> Nature's karma, man. That's right. <laughs> now, Jimmy, yeah, you're part of an organisation that you founded called Beard Season. Now, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, one of our mates, uh, Wes Bonnie, uh, he grew up in Ardleth and kind of central New South Wales, and... Um, we went to uni together down in Canberra, and uh, when he was 26, he um, he got taken down by melanoma. He had a little spot on his neck that he didn't realise was bad until it was too late, and um, yeah, in the prime of his life. And basically, at his funeral, we kind of dreamt up this random idea called beard season, where we'd grow our beards for winter and use them as a bit of a conversation starter to challenge people to get skin checks. Yep. And from there, Jimmy, um, obviously you, you travel around a little bit with your organisation with the Flying Skin Doctor. Um, we saw you out here at the Outback Paddle Regatta in, in Longreach. Yes. Yes, that was amazing. And I came and uh, walked through the bra cladded gate of the 4LG <laughs> studio. I oh, notice there's one missing, Jimmy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm worried. I try to make a hat out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no match for my Cobra, unfortunately, <laughs> but, you know, I could maybe uh, decorate it a little bit with that strap. Um, yeah, we, we came up for the uh, inaugural um, paddle regatta, and it was bloody fantastic, and it was great to be on the banks of the, oh, what was the river Tom called? Thompson. The mighty Thompson River. <laughs> yes. But yeah. you did find a number of uh, melanomas just out here, and just on that one day. I think we did, yeah. I, oh, I can't remember the actual number off the top of my head, but the doc who we had was incredible. He um, did some other checks around different towns around Longreach as well, and I think I remember him showing me a, a kind of um, tub full of biopsies that he had, wow. <laughs> and he collected these things, and I think from that they found, ooh, let's say half a dozen Wow. kind of skin cancers and mel potential melanomas. So it was, you know, like literally could have saved lives. So it was, um, it, was a great, it was great to be out there and, you know, we'd love to come back one day. So Jimmy, do you Good. find a certain type of person is more susceptible to, to bad spots than others or type of skin or, you know, because there's always the, you know, I'm, I'm like a lily-white Scotsman <laughs> and I burn like a beetroot. But um, yeah. so far on my checks, I've been okay. And then, you know, you see the, the olive brawn people and then they can get it so is it is it does it discriminate yeah well you haven't taken up that uh that nudist colony offer up <laughs> i'm working i'm working on the rig first <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you know yeah nudists obviously i i imagine they're probably a more high risk um, <laughs> i <laughs> i was lucky enough to be invited onto this government panel the other day and i was in the room full of all these boffins and they kind of identified a few different risk groups. Obviously yep. not as exciting as nudists, but, <laughs> you know, people who've had melanoma before or people who've had an organ transplant. But, like, I'd like to say from my experience, pretty much across the board, anyone in yep. Australia is high risk, um, which is why we do these pop-up clinics. We just ask anyone to come in and get a check because... You never know. Like it's, it's just such a sneaky 
thing and it really doesn't discriminate and people come in and say you know well i've got dark skin i'm fine well you know Bob marley died from a melanoma and yeah you know people from all different kinds of skin groups and uh, backgrounds and stuff are susceptible in australia and you know don't kid yourself that you'll be okay because you know it can sneak up on you and it can pop up in places you'd never imagine as well <laughs> so um that's why skin checks are so important and you know um no one's really out of the out of the firing line yeah now you've been uh, you just said you're doing a government panel i've seen pictures of you popping up in canberra and all over the shop so uh beard season seems to be getting some sort of traction yeah, and it's not even winter. But, uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of... I've, I've, I've jumped in it full-time this time last year, so it's been kind of a massive slog, um, you know, and it, it doesn't slow down. Um, and we are coming into summer now, and we've got heaps of requests from around the country for people to bring our doctors in to do skin checks at their workplaces and... Um, at their events like the long reach the other day that was just phenomenal and you know the more awareness and exposure we've been getting the more people are paying attention and you know it's such a good thing to be able to provide that service to people and um, you know the results speak for themselves we have about 15% of people who come in to get a check find something and a lot of them had no idea about a, a sus looking spot that you know could turn pretty nasty so it's good, it's good. We just keep on pushing, pushing. <laughs> Jimmy, thanks very much for your time and your contribution to the summer edition heard on the Resonate Network. Now, anyone interested in beard season and what you're all about, what's the best contact details? Yeah, just uh, type into the old Google machine beard season or Jimmy Niggles and something should pop up. Um, not Jimmy Giggle. <laughs> not Jimmy Giggle. Nah, nah. Hey there, <laughs> 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 I'm not as uh, animated as that play. Um, you know, I'm sure we'd team up one day. But, yeah, just like we we'll, Yeah. <laughs> we'd be come out and find, find a skin cancer. He could come out and make a, a joke to make you feel a bit better. <laughs> but, um, no, look, we're, we're, we're doing our best. We're on social media and Instagram and stuff. It's a massive big thing for us. But just look for beard season and you'll find us and... Um, you know, if you're out there in summer, just remember to buy yourself a bloody good hat, like a big broad brim hat. It's fantastic. And, you know, if it's in the Cooper or whatever, it'll last you a lifetime. And I saw some really good kind of, um, you know, lightweight, breathable, uh, like, what are they called? Shit. They were like <laughs> kind of messy ones out yeah. in Longreach. They had a, there was a good style of those big kind of woven hats out there. Bloody good. Sunglasses, as you mentioned. The old zinc on the on the face is always good when you're out, and long collar, long sleeves. Um, so yeah, just look after yourself and your mates and your family, and have a bloody good summer for us, please. <laughs> Jimmy Niggle, you're an absolute legend. Thanks very much for your time this afternoon. Legends, thank you. <laughs> it's a summer edition heard across the Resonate Thanks Network. Thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. It's a summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG. And hot country, it is warming up across the west, uh, Parco. 
And you do, we ask our guests what they do love to throw on a barbecue, Parker. How about yourself? Well, Anthony Maroon, um, obviously, he's going to be the best man at any future weddings I have because what he said and what I <laughs> oh, believe. Once I looked, you said to you last week, you're going to the well again? Yeah, oh, well, you know, we'll see how the cards play out. <laughs> a lamb chop. A lamb chop to me. It's a new one, probably in the last three years. Yep. I've really started to just really appreciate a good chop. Yeah. Anything that stands out to you, Nick? I mean, over the recent time, I've gone to fish. Oh yeah, Ooh, fish yeah. on yeah, fish on the barbie's very nice. You never knocked it back when I cooked it for you, Parker. Well, I was polite. I mean, <laughs> our friendship wasn't up to that stage yet of me turning down food, but I don't think um, anything from the sea should be put on a barbecue. Fair enough. Yeah, yourself, Nick. Uh, look, you know, apart from your classic steak, um, let's talk sophistication. Halloumi cheese. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, now yeah. I'll tell you what. <laughs> our, our next guest, he eats nothing but lean meat, and he eats it straight off the bone, off the body. Yeah. <laughs> David Shillington, Parker. <laughs> oh, mate. And David Shillington, not only was he a bit of a legend on the field, obviously played for Canberra, played for the Titans. Let's just forgive That's him for that. That's where your career ended. Um, but, you know, said, <laughs> played in that origin side, the Queensland origin side that dominated that eight years of dominance and does a lot of work now off the field. So, I mean, just as interested we were in his career and his thoughts on this current Australian side, but just the, the mental side of the game because yep. we do see, I mean, Ash Taylor's a guy that only this year got a million dollars who had the world at his feet, so to speak, um, and only played a handful of games at the Titans due to some mental issues. So yeah. I think really interesting to see what advice he's got for young guys making their debuts going forward. And, and we did speak to Liggy, Libby Trickett in, in edition one of the summer edition, Nick, and it is a vital part of all sportsmen's career, the understanding of mental health. Oh, for sure. And I think with young sports people these days, uh, it used to be, um, even when rugby, I mean, rugby league's been professional as long as it's been around, but it was always supplemented by other work to uh, get a you know, reasonable living wage. But now sporting wages are such that that's all they know is sport. And so they mm. don't have that life uh, experience to call on. They don't have that life balance to call on. So people like uh, Shiloh are invaluable to bring that yeah, to bring that to him. But I think also, too, I mean, back when, you know, I'm not talking David Shillington, but he's been, you know, it hasn't been that long since he played. Yes. Mm. But, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about sports people with anxiety or, or mental issues. I think part of that is because the TV exposure is so much now. Oh, I mean, there's a rugby too, league yeah. channel. So every single game is broadcast. So you can't play a crap game yep. and not have it be seen by hundreds of thousands of people. So really, in this day and age of social media, there's absolutely nowhere to hide. Nick, you play social cricket. If you get out for a duck, you'll cop it. Oh yeah, it's been a it's been a horrific week. I did get one run this week, so uh, and, and boys, <laughs> the critics backed off. We speak about <laughs> mental health, and, and a big congratulations to both you guys. One a hairy man, one a non-hairy man, <laughs> having a dig at uh, Movember. Movember in its twentieth season yeah. this year, and it's all based around men's mental health. And we know how bad us blokes are at talking about our problems or even just going to the doctor for a grease and oil change. I mean, the biggest problem I've got is I can't grow a moustache. But I, <laughs> the way I look at it, it's the ninth of November. I'm just Growing one hair a day. <laughs> and as I said on local radio, by next November, you might have something. Sub- 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 oh, it's funny. I've got a mate that can't do This is probably the, the bit of feedback I got. He said, I'd love to pay you out, but I've been growing mine for two months. <laughs> so that made me feel a lot better. Now, Scott, we've heard of the annual key hunt at Ilfracombe, at the Ilfracombe Wallowie Cup, but it probably a bigger audience for your key hunt would be the Roma races, which is next weekend, Saturday. I haven't lost any keys at Roma. Have um, you been to the Roma races? Never. No, well, neither. I've heard it's outstanding. Yeah, big meeting. So, uh, leading trainer from the Roma area, Craig Smith, he's also vice president, joins us later on in the hour. Nick, uh, for a good chat. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you're talking not only about the Roma meet, but just the standard of... Uh, well, not the standard, but the Queensland racing in general, uh, regional racing, just mm. everything that's involved... 
the organisations, the distances and all those things that uh, perhaps you don't really take into account when you think about it. City prize money available mm-hmm. offer at Roma next I week. I just had a thought though, I think Parco should lose something different at each race and we had the sort of the Parco paper chase <laughs> each year. <laughs> I went to about physical orders. <laughs> And uh, the great and the great Alan Thomas will join us, uh, Scott. He called rugby league, boxing, cycling, and he called the fine cotton affair. And it must be really hard. I mean, he's known as one of the most versatile callers in Australian broadcasting history. But it must be. I mean, you take it for granted someone that can call a horse race, then jump into an origin or, or go and call a boxing match because each sport is so intricate in what you're mm. actually commentating on. And, and he talked about you know his his most challenging sport was cricket. And uh, Nick, he's put pen to paper and come up with 300 editions of what he's called The Sports Whisperer, a new um, podcast blog. Well, he is probably one of the last of that generation or, or among the last of those generation of generalist commentators that did go from sport to sport. Nowadays, they tend to be much more specialised. But as a consequence, he's got so many stories of things he knew about at the time, he couldn't tell at the time, or uh, just funny things happening behind the scenes. And, yep, that's all available for uh, listening. It's the summer edition right across the Resonate Network, heard on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, It's the summer edition heard on the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, and Hot Country. Uh, Parco, time to talk league. I know, talking league again, mate. It's great to be uh, back in the second hour. And the guests just keep on getting bigger, mate. We've got a former... NRL legend, David Shillington. David, how you going, mate? G'day, guys. Good, thanks. Hey, mate, uh, you obviously uh, finished your career at the Gold Coast Titans. Um, a big talking point, obviously, at the back end of the season was the future of the Titans. Um, how do you see it panning out there on the Gold Coast? Yeah, they've definitely got a little bit of work to do there. Um, hopefully the new coach, uh, Justin Holbrook, um, is a bit of a magician and knows how to um, you know, bring the troops together and, uh, and develop them as well because... They do have some good young talent and a few older heads, so it's about uh, nurturing that talent, uh, re-signing them, keeping them in the club, pick players like Jai Arrow, you don't want to let them go. And then also motivating those older players. Um, Ash is probably an older player now, you consider him. Um, Ryan James and Kevin Proctor, those sort of fellas. Uh, so whether it's uh, you know developing and retaining those young guys or motivating the older fellas. Um, he's definitely got a big job ahead of him. And there's certainly no shortage of talent in some of those names you mentioned. Yeah, if he gets all those guys going, I mean, you look at that squad, you know, 1-13, to 13, maybe 1-17, to 17, um, they can definitely be competitive. I mean, uh, when, when Ash was um, showing his potential, I guess, uh, a couple of years ago, um, we all saw what he's capable of. And, um, if he gets his head right, um, he, you know, he could be anything. Uh, he signed as a as a million-dollar-year player and... Um, and he's definitely still got that potential. So hopefully um, he realises that and, and Justin Holbrook can uh, bring it out in him too. So, Dave, apart from playing for the Titans, I guess your other former club where you played most of your career was at the Raiders. And, I mean, they had one of the great seasons in 2019. Did you see it coming and how much of a surprise was that? Well, they've got an excellent team on paper, the Raiders. Uh, some of those English additions have uh, just been fantastic. Uh, Bateman, absolute machine. Uh, and then some of the old experienced hardheads, the ones that have been there for a while, uh, like Papali and C.S. Oliola, um, you know, they really played out of their skin uh, later in the year and they were fantastic leaders. Um, Josh Papali's come along just to be such a consistent, uh, high-performing player. He's, he was always a bit um, up and down and showed potential, but then was a bit quiet and sometimes frustrating, but he just turned into a consistent leader and uh, the Raiders are uh, getting rewarded because of it. And Dave, the Raiders can sometimes be guilty of having a really great season and dropping off the season after. Do you think we can now see a bit more of a consistent run of form from the from the Raiders? Yeah, they've definitely been guilty of that. I know 
you know, when I was there, we uh, didn't make the finals. Then we did. Then we didn't. Then we did. And so on. And, um, and poor old Raiders fans uh, have to brave the cold, but then also put up with that too. So um, they're the tough, resilient old fans. The Raiders won, but uh, I think I think that's changed now. I, I'd like to think that uh, Ricky's built a pretty gritty, sort of proud team there. Um, they set a new standard, and they won't um, go backwards from there. Um, some of those players we just mentioned, uh, they're international players now. And, um, they've just they've had a bit of a whiff of a premiership. They didn't quite taste it, uh, but they got to smell it, and I think uh, they'll be back for more next year. So, Dave, you talked about the, the whisper premiership, and I guess it's the repeat set that never was. Um, and, you know, a lot of people came out after that grand final, not just Raiders fans, but just NRA fans in general, saying, you know, they felt the Raiders were robbed of that result. Does that is that hard to come back from? I mean, in some ways, a 30-point defeat must be easier than going so close and not getting the result. Oh, to be honest, I was a little bit different from everyone with that call. I, um, I mean, yeah, sure, they, it would have been nice if they got a ride, and it would have been nice if they didn't change the mind. But I mean, at the end of the day, the Roosters ran 90 metres to score that try. Uh, and, and in games of footy, there's, um, there's a couple of wrong calls. Um, hopefully not too many, more than a couple. <laughs> um, there's a heap of errors from both teams, a heap of missed tackles from both teams, heaps of blind opportunities. And, um, and I think deep down as a player those Raiders boys uh, would have known, as hard as it is to admit it, um, that they could have done so many other things um, differently or better, uh, and that would have influenced the result of the game too. So, I mean, face value, yeah, it looks, looks like a terrible call, and, um, and you can be up in arms, but um, the referee did make um, the Raiders a mistake tackle on the short side and, and the Roosters to, to run 90 metres. So, uh, def- definitely tough, but um, they've got to be realistic too, as harsh as that might sound. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head too because that Roosters' defence at that point in time was impregnable. Um, they'd had a fair crack at the line a few times. And, and that's that's where the game should be talked about. That's how it should be celebrated. I'm, I'm really big on you know, speaking positively about the game. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, but as you say, you know, Cooper Cronk, um, he's in the bin. That was that was more controversial, I think, than the um, six to go. I didn't think he deserved that. Um, but then they defended their line for 10 minutes with 12 men um, late in the game. So the Raiders should have capitalised that and put two tries on them. They should have um, blown them apart. But, uh, but the Roosters were just gritty. They showed incredible resilience and, and experience out there and, um, and held them out. So I, that's where I think the... The good news stories of the game, not, not so much focusing on that six again. And I guess um, another former club, mate, I guess we're here, yeah, it's all topical this afternoon, is the Sydney Roosters. They went back to back for the first time since the Broncos did. You mate, always is, have to mention that, don't you? Well, that was the one bit of history the Broncos had, and now it's gone. That's the one bit of Broncos history I keep remembering. That's all I bloody hear about. <laughs> but, Dave, my question to you is this Roosters side, I mean, they don't really, I mean, they know they lost Cooper Cronk, but they signed young Kyle Flanagan. Uh, from the Sharks. I mean, that we know the um, the innuendo about the, the salary cap sombrero. But, mate, could this be a side that could potentially be the first to go three in a row from a very long time? I actually think they're a real good chance next year. Uh, we saw uh, Kiri, he, he can um, direct that team himself. Uh, he's done it before, and he's only going to get better as time goes on. And, and remember, Cooper's going to be around that, that club still... Uh, mentoring him and Cole Flanagan and Cole Flanagan has shown a heap of potential already so um, most of the team uh, are sticking together uh, and the key will be people like Latrell Mitchell I think who's, who's obviously in the media at the moment uh, potentially testing the open market and um, who knows what's going to happen there you, know, you, you never really count contracts as concrete anymore he might not even be there next season but um, if he is you know, he, he plays some great footy he, he's a game breaker so uh, if guys like Kiri, uh, Flanagan, and Mitchell, if, if they fire up and the forward back keeps doing their job, um, they're, they're definitely going to be hard to stop. I'm so impressed with 
players like Takiyahau and um, even Hargraves. <laughs> Hargraves is one I always um, have battles with myself <laughs> on the field. I, I would love to bag, but um, he just was a real, real leader at the end of that uh, season. And um, they missed him in that major semi when he when he got suspended. But he was fantastic the week before and, and fantastic in the grand final too. So, uh, yeah, I can't say a bad word about him. He's not listening, mate. If you do want to give him a big spray, I don't think he listens to the summer. <laughs> he, might be, he might be holidaying in Hewenden. You never know. <laughs> hey, Dave, on a, on a serious note, um, I'm sitting across the uh, room here from Scott and uh, he's taking participating in Movember and I think by next November 2020, he might have some sort of growth to, to, to make a mention. But uh, mental health is something that you're heavily involved in in uh, rugby league and it's a massive um, topic now, not only in rugby league, but in life in general. It's a big topic out here in the outback. Have you got some advice uh, for any young players, you know, making rugby league as their career? Obviously, there's a lot of highs and lows. Yeah, it's really um, become a focus in uh, sport and, and general public uh, to start taking care of your mental health. And thankfully, uh, a lot of the stigma around uh, mental health difficulties, as in it's weak or you're soft if you're, if you're not doing all right, thankfully, a lot of stigma has broken down. Um, obviously, there's still uh, a bit to go in, in different parts of the world with different groups, but uh, yeah, as part of that state of mind program that um, I deliver for the NRL, uh, we've got uh, some lived experience stories from people like Dan Gagai, Michael Morgan, Joel Thompson, Darius Boyd, um, guys who have played uh, for the Maroons, uh, for Australia, and, and they're tough guys. You know, they don't come much tougher than that, those the players that play state of origin. So um, yeah, when they're letting their guard down and talking about some of the struggles they've had and their need to seek help, I think um, that sets the tone for the rest of us. So um, if you're a young person coming through, you're going to feel uh, bulletproof at different times. Um, but just remember that uh, guys uh, bigger and tougher than you, um, they've let the guard down to get help when they needed it. So um, you can do the same as well. David Schilling, thanks very much for your time and your contribution to the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Thanks, guys. It's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Nick, today we're not going to profile a bush athlete, we're going to profile an iconic event. Yep, well, you know, these, uh, these events around the, uh, the uh, western Queensland, they're so dependent on a lot of people who we don't hear a lot about and yet without them. These things don't happen. And uh, it's one of the, the country race wings I haven't yet made it to, oh Nick, believe it or not. Really? And Good joining heavens. me is <laughs> Vice President of the Roma uh, Turf Club and also uh, leading country trainer, Craig Smith. Uh, good afternoon. Good day, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. So how are things progressing for next week's big meeting? Yeah, look, uh, um, we could do with a bit of rain like most <laughs> places could in the West, but um, yeah, look, everything's gone. Going to plan for the Turf Club anyhow, and um, yeah, we've uh, expecting you. A usually good crowd like we've um, built the event has built up into, yeah. It's built a lot of momentum as well too. I think the past four or five years it's, it's had uh, Sky Channel and TAB coverage. Um, yes, uh, Roma and Emerald sort of um, led the way there before paving the way for Birdsville. Yeah, exactly. You know, the TAB and um, we're up to a, a $213,000 prize money. I think it's uh, the best best you could have in the in country racing, you know, and our cup's equivalent of a um, Saturday race in town and uh, it's a uh, final lead up race for the uh, country cup challenge so it all falls in place and um it makes 
it's sort of a grand final of the bush racing for the year, you could say, yeah. We'll touch on the Battle of Bush and the Country Cups Challenge uh, shortly, but um, Craig, obviously these country meetings, and I, I feel like a broken record harping on about this, <laughs> they're such an important part of the community, they're, you know, they're the hub for social activity, and, and a lot of people these days, they're not necessarily interested in the horse flesh, you know, like like a lot of us are, but it's it's the sideshow as well, and, and you have a big fashions of the field and uh, and entertainment. Yeah, look, it's, it's probably outgrown us as a, as a small club and a small working band behind the committee and that um, a lot of work goes involved. We basically start from March in the beginning of the year planning for it. Um, and, yeah, we put a big hospitality member tent and, yeah, all of it is a big track party that we've got organised in the middle. And, like, yesterday we had two semi-trailer loads of grog wow. that arrived and was put on ice and um, it'll take at that time to cool down. But I bet you they take shorter time to drink it than what they will <laughs> unload it, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's it. The social, you get the uh, a lot of students letting their hair down from Brisbane. They come out. It's um, a, hair, a great get-together for them, the country people. Admittedly, a little bit of a drought going on. And, the, yeah, it's just a big, big social thing for the town, the motels, the pubs. A lot of businesses benefit off the Roma Turf Club event. Mate, you mentioned the uh, prize money before. Now, obviously, there's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of people struggling with one way or the other. That's got to be a great way to uh, attract riders and trainers from uh, far and wide. Yeah, yes, it is. And uh, actually, this morning I've had a heap of phone calls. You know, you got Pete jockeys looking for rides already, and trainers chasing um, stables and and that to come to Roma. So yeah, I, I think our fields will be pretty good. And yeah, the prize money offer is really yeah, it's a, it's the top prize money in the country and. Yeah, it's worth great money. It's a good chance for the people to race for that money in the bush. I know it's uh, it's hard to get the crystal ball out to, to know what horses are coming. I know Fab's Cowboy's heading that way after his run this week in Chinchilla. Uh, anything in the Craig Smith stable we can be following next week? <laughs> Potemkin, um, is he going round? Fortunately not, no. No not, no runner this year. No, we won't have a runner in the cup. The, um, my main horse, Potemkin, when he won the Morven Cup, went amiss. Unfortunately, had to be spelled. And, uh, yeah, the other horse I had at Charleville, so... Pulled up with a problem, so yeah, no. This year we will be um, watching it without looking at one of my runners go around in it. So yeah, unfortunately we won't be racing for the big money. And you did touch on um, the Country Cups Challenge and also the Battle of the Bush. That's been two great innovations by Racing Queensland to to give um, you know country stakeholders that opportunity on the big stage. Um, it, it looks like it's going to be something quite big in the years to come. Yeah, well, you just wonder how big it can get, but the Country Challenge, I think it's you'll see as you go to each meeting that they've got one of these events on. Yeah, the racing, the whole day has improved and it's become become an annual event for each club to promote these uh, Country Cup challenges. And, yeah, I think it can only get bigger and better. Now, I just want to ask you before I let you go, I know you're busy today. Um, Birdsville this year, you're a a, uh, regular at the Birdsville Carnival. Do you feel that the uh, Sky Channel coverage and TAB coverage might, and, and obviously the Big Red Bash, might eventually take away from the Birdsville Carnival? Yeah, they're sort of, I don't know whether they will or not. It'll probably downsize it a little bit, but um, they do such a great job out there at Birdsville promoting it. And, and um, yeah, I think it's fair to say they're total different groups of people that go to each of those. Yeah. The Bash is a different mob that'll go to the races, you know. So, yeah, I've seen Nick Rowan over the last 14 or 15 years. I've been going there and, yeah, they, they put on a great show as well. Craig, uh, it's got to be a lot of work and you cover a lot of Ks with uh, horse racing in uh, country Queensland. Uh, this time of year, you're looking forward to a break at all or over Christmas? 
Um, unfortunately, I generally do try to have a break, but this year, unless it rains, I won't be because, uh, yeah, my mum and dad have got a property uh, 50k south of Roma, and yeah, no, we need need a bit of rain, but there's a bit of a lot of cattle getting fed there and that. Mm. Uh, so yeah, but I would try to get away to the sales and and do that. But yeah, we'll might pick up a day or two here somewhere. We'll go away for a night. <laughs> But you keep the horses basically in work because we start racing again at Roma. We've got a meeting at Roma in end of, uh, early December and then we race again in February. So you've right, yeah. got to have your horses ticking over in a bigger stable anyhow. But, mm. um, yeah, Oop. trying to find the next year's Battle of the Bush qualifier. That'll be the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll find one. Craig Smith, thanks very much for your time and all the best uh, at next week's big Roma Cup meeting. Uh, it's Saturday the 16th. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. It's the uh, summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. It's the uh, summer edition across the Resonate Network heard on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Now, boys, we love a good sports story. And our next guest, Parco, the Sports Whisperer is known as, uh, has just released a new podcast. <laughs> yeah, just an outstanding bloke, one of the great callers um, in Australia. Alan Thomas, how are you, bud? Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, I don't have to worry about calling anything. I'm in Melbourne. I'm just at a bar having lunch since uh, 12.30. So I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite, um, <laughs> quite under control here. But uh, down here at this time of the year, it's very hard to get away. We'll call you back in half of then. <laughs> half, let me tell you, half an hour won't cut it. <laughs> HE, um, the Sports Whisperer, I've talked to, to you uh, on local radio uh, about this, but uh, we're going to a wider audience now. Tell us a little bit about how, what it brought it about. Well, the Sports Whisperer came about because when I finished broadcasting, which is actually, time flies, it's four years wow. this Boxing Day since I finished, and all my friends said, look, all the stories you've amassed over, you know, 45, 46 years of commentary, what are you going to do with them? And I said, well, I don't know. And they said, well, you've got to get them out there. So, you know, when your time comes to lead the planet, we, the stories won't be lost. So I got with a friend of mine, uh, Mary and Thaxton, and she said, well, why don't you put these stories out on a podcast? And that's what we did. And so over about a year and a half, we, we sat down and, and sort of worked out a plan um, to, to do this, and that's what we've done. So we've put out a podcast series called The Sports Whisperer. It's, it's, it's on all sports. It's not just on racing, because I worked in the Nine Network for a long period of time. Um, so I've amassed stories in cricket, rugby league and all this, that and the other. And then there's always the stories from school that shapes you. And when I worked in the Nine Network over a period of time and uh, obviously through my state of origin broadcasting years and everything else, the world title fights I did with Cross Azu and Jeff Fennick. So, and so there's a whole range, there's a whole myriad of programs that we did. So I, I finally grouped them and I sat down one day to write down how many stories I had, so I got to 300. Wow. And of the 300, <laughs> then I had to put them in the categories. And so that's what we're at. And my, uh, today, the, the 11, 11th series went out this morning. It's on cricket. Um, the funny thing about the cricket one that's going out this morning, I remember we had a charity day at nine, I was batting with Alan Border. We were playing the blind people. Now, the blind people actually can, they're, they're partially blind to whatever percentage of their blindness is, but oh, that's okay, I've got bowl for a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've played blind cricket a couple of times, they're tricky. <laughs> oh, they're tricky, because they've got the, the bells of the bottle tops in the ball, yeah, yeah. And it's got to bounce so many times, anyway, so 
So I'm batting the border. Uh, I don't know if you know him or not, but he can bat a bit. Anyway, <laughs> he, um, so I didn't realise that the ball didn't bounce that much. And anyway, it went under the bat like a bowl middle stump. And as I walked off past border down the other end, he said, no wonder I never picked you on the Ashes series. <laughs> <laughs> hey, AT, hey, you, you're known as one of the most versatile commentators. You've gone through State of Origins, boxing, and obviously horse racing. Was there one that you found particularly more difficult than the others? Well, it was cricket. And I'll really? tell you why. Now, you've got to... Now, this is difficult to explain unless you can visually get this right. So, at the Sydney Cricket Ground... I was doing a Sheffield Shield final, Sydney, uh, New South Wales versus Queensland, right? So you're, you're at one end, and the bowler is running away from you, and the batsman's at the other end, right? Mm. Now, in the next over off the screen, it's reversed, but you're looking at the same end, <laughs> but the batsman's at the other end. Yes. Because the screen's reversed. So. When he hits the ball past point, I think it's gone a square leg because I'm back to somewhere <laughs> I Yeah. So it was really good. After five days, on the last day of the fourth day, uh, I think I got it. The last five days at the end of the match, I, I worked it out. But, you know, <laughs> it, took, it took me some time. But, um, yeah, that, that was the one that gave me... That was the one that... Because I, every time I looked at the screen in the, in the other over, it was the opposite end to what I was seeing. So... I said to Doug Walters, I can't work this out. He said, I've worked it out for 15 years. So <laughs> and, and he didn't really care because he was getting the scratchings in the morning before he got on air. So <laughs> now, AT, you called uh, horse racing for many, many years. And possibly for the worst reasons, your most memorable call has to be the fine cotton affair. Uh, while you were calling that, when, when did it start to feel something had gone wrong with this race? Um, well... The first time I, I, I thought something was iffy was when before they... Uh, when they went to the barrier, we had the, we had the monitors in the box of the fluctuations. And he was 33s into 7 to 2. Jeez. But he had no form. And that's, no form that's, when, that's when betting was betting, wasn't it? <laughs> that's when betting was betting. You know, we weren't... You know, I won't go there, but yeah, that's when betting was betting. <laughs> so... I called the race, and he won by he won by a nose, he won by a lip, and I remember saying to my mate Don Scott, who was in the box with me for many many years, I said, There's "Something odd." Then there was a noise and a hell of a loo after the race. Everyone screaming and yelling and whatever, because I had, I had the broadcast box window open at Eagle Farm, and I I said to Don, "Go down. What's, there's something going on here. What is it?" So he went down. And he came back within about five minutes, three minutes. And I said, what? He said, oh, it's a ring-in. He said, it's not fine cotton, it's full personality. I said, well, how do you know? You've only been going away three minutes. He said, I didn't get to the bottom of the stairs. The bloke told me. <laughs> I, said, I said, which bloke told you? He said, just the one walking past. <laughs> I said, did you know him? He said, no. <laughs> but... But the, fu- but the funniest part about the fine cotton one was when they hit the line, I said, oh, I think fine cotton's one of the nose to harbour gold, but the bookmakers won't be able to pay. And the reason <laughs> I said that was just because I was a lad. Yeah. And I, I knew nothing else. So <laughs> when, the, when the, and, and the, 
Wayne Wilson called the race on four four BC, and on course, and I called it through the nine network, and I went to Sydney and Melbourne, but it wasn't heard in Brisbane. So when it went to the courts in Sydney to put all these people away and prosecute them, the judge said, oh, have a listen to the race. So what they did, they actually had my call because my call went through the nine network channel, not through the radio. And then I said, oh, and the bookmakers won't be able to pay. <laughs> and the judge said, subpoena that man. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was, he was that race caller in Brisbane. Uh, well, uh, well, actually, the race caller in Brisbane is actually Wayne Wilson. Um, <laughs> so, so we went to the races on Saturday, and Wayne came charging around. He thought he was going to jail. <laughs> and I didn't give him 10 years. I said, well, I should give you 12. But anyway, <laughs> He said, if you had an open your big mouth, we wouldn't be in this problem. I said, I'm not in the problem. You're the one going to, go to the court. No, I'm not in the problem. You're the one in the problem. So anyway, so, and so anyway we went to the Brecky Creek a week later. He didn't go to jail. We had a stake. It was all finished. It was all good. So, um, so yeah. Oh. 18th of August 1984 was a very, very memorable day. <laughs> oh, I bet you. AT, thanks for your time and your contribution to the summer edition. Anyone out there on Facebook or, or uh, the web, how do they get onto the Sports Whisperer? Well, the Sports Whisperer is very simple. It's 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 www.thesportswhisperer.blog, B-L-A-G. It's on Spotify, but you can get it on the website. Um, there's all different stories. They're all basically all funny and hopefully the conversation we've had today is about what they're about. But they're all different stories for all different sports. I've got different people on there. And basically, they're 46 years of my sports stories um, basically rolled into, into different telecasts. So www.thesportswhisperer.blog. Have a glass of wine, have a listen, and have a laugh and get a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association, it's the summer edition across the Resonate Network, heard on 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, and Hot Country, and a great stack of guests to thank for today's edition, including Craig Williams, Ben Iken, Carl Rackman, Jimmy Niggle, uh, David Shillington, Craig Smith from the Roma Turf Club, and the great Alan Thomas Parko. Time well, for today's topic. Yeah, well, last week we talked about action heroes, and I've been watching action movies all week. So this one, I'll probably go back and watch this. Shaving Ryan's Privates. Oh, great movie. In dine at <laughs> no, I won't say. Um, no, but this topic, I thought about Sonny Bill Williams. I mean, he's one of the, the great sports. We've got to call him that. Money Bill Williams, as he's known by a few. But, <laughs> but just, Nick, uh, I'm going to cut you short there, Parko. Nick of I have said this, one of the great athletes. Yes. Well, he's crossed codes, hasn't he? Well, and... And, and successfully, but, but he is, more successfully than others. The the top, the pinnacle of what you'd call a professional athlete. And I, yeah. I don't think he actually gets the, the recognition that he actually mm. deserves. I mean, mm. to go from one of the greatest players in the Australian Rugby League to go and become a great rugby union player. Mm. I think the way that he exited the Bulldogs with that money scandal going over to French rugby to kind of... I don't think that was handled very well. And it kind of put him on the back burner of, of sports fans. But he's just signed with the Toronto Wolfpack. So he's coming back to rugby league. Now, Toronto Wolfpack have just been... Um, they moved up into the English Super League. So he's made a decision for $10 million. It's a pretty easy decision to make. My question to you guys is, if you were... And I'm not saying you're not. Obviously, Watsy, one of the great cricketers, and Nick, you're on your way. Um, you had a you had a one run, so you, you're there. Um, what would be the big deciding factor for you if you had a choice of any club? What would it come down to? Would money play a factor? Would it be something else? 
Oh, gee, that is a good question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, money obviously would be a factor, uh, but I think I'd like to think about also where you'd be living. I think, yeah, you know, have that, you know, it'd be great to have a couple of years in Canada. Pity you had a young family as uh, Sonny Bill Williams did. Well, what a great experience for them as well. Mm. Yeah, and, and alternatively, a lot of these people that they sign, the athletes sign in Japanese rugby or something mm. like that where you don't speak the language or something. That's a very good point, Nick. Um, for mine, it'd be where, what stage in your career you're at. Mm. You know, like for Sonny Bill now, it's fair to say he's in the twilight of his career. Yeah, yeah. Um, and nothing to prove to anyone. And nothing either. to prove. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but, you know, I look back, Early on when this crosscode sort of started, you had Big Dell and Lottie Takiri, mm. Gaznia and Matt the Rat, Matt Rogers. You know, when they make that move to another code, it's very hard to come back, isn't it? Yeah. And I think we'll see it with um, your mate Valentine Holmes when he goes to the Cowboys at the end of the year. Just how long it will take for them to find their feet in, mm. in what is the best rugby league competition in the world. Sonny Bill going to Toronto <laughs> to play in the uh, English Super League, I think he'll do it with a leg in the air and a smile to the crowd. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> flip-flop more than a sandal race. I mean, he went to Union, then back to League, then back to Union, now back to League. So he's going back and forth. For me, it's money. Um, yeah, that would be the right. deciding factor. But also, too, I think the unknown is also, I'd love to go to a club that hasn't had success. Mm. Like the Gold Coast Titans, to me, how great would it be if you went there and you were part of their first premiership? Cronulla did it not long ago. I think that you, you're part of history. You're the first player, all in the first team of players to win a premiership. And how great would it be if you moved to the Gold Coast and they got uprooted and got sent to PNG? <laughs> that would be rougher. <laughs> Again, um, probably same, yeah, probably same atmosphere in the change rooms. <laughs> and uh, Parker, we, we, there's a lot of conjecture, obviously, about the Gold Coast. What do you think their fate is? Oh, mate, I think they're going to move. Yep. I think there's, there's only... I mean, there's only so much money the NRL can pump into the Gold Coast. Well, they've taken them over, haven't they? It will be interesting to see what this new coach does. And, mm. I mean, they just had a new... They seem to have a new coach every couple of years. But I think, I reckon 12 months, and I think you're going to hear some serious question marks. I mean, they're talking about a second team in Brisbane. We'll just move them up the road, yep. is what I think. Or, better yet, move them to Perth. But I don't think Gold Coast franchises just don't work. Don't work. I, I just think... Brisbane, Australia might not be the key. And I, th- I think I can touched on that, didn't he? That did. maybe it is going to be a side that's outside Australian waters. Mm. Well, Tasmania. Has anyone talked about Tasmania? Well, I don't know why they don't have an AFL have team. They've just mm. been given an NBL, a basketball team, are going back to Tasmania. Oh, really? Fantastic. Yes. So, Good on you, Tasmania. That's great news. And uh, hopefully we have some in our NBL uh, chat next week. We will with Jason... Yes, well done. (laughs) We got it right. It's been the summer edition across the Resonate Network again. Thanks to all of our contributors. Thanks to Scott Parkinson. No worries, mate. Anytime. And Nick Baxter will catch you boys again next week. Pleasure as ever. And it's heard across 4VL, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Have a fantastic afternoon.